You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. How many ready for the word this morning? Whew, bear with me. I mean, it's, it's set up, tear down, you know, all of it. It's all today. We're all in today. Amen. It's been a while since we've been all in. Uh, we're on part five of Let Us Pray. We've been walking through essentially the book, Teach Us, or uh, is it Teach Us to Pray? What's the, what's the title of the book? How to Pray. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that. By Pete, I, I've got so many different things in my head about titles. Um, How to Pray by Pete uh, Gregg. So we've been essentially walking through that book together. And the first week we talked about the idea of pausing. So he's taken the word pray and he's broken into an acronym. Not my favorite thing to do, but we're doing it. Um, And the first word is, or the first letter, the P is pause. That we've got to sometimes be still. Find a place where we can get before the Lord and silence our outside and internal noise and really listen to what God is doing. Uh, last week, we talked about the R, which was rejoice. And so we're walking through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We talked about the need for intimacy in prayer and adoration in prayer. That we recognize that he's invited us to come as his children, and he is our Father, and he is interested in every bit of what is going on in our lives. He wants to spend time with us, but also that we should adore him and reverence him. That um, his name is wholly set apart like no other name. We talked a little bit about what his name means. It's not just an identification badge, but indeed it is a reference to his character and his nature, that he is uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, right, Um, out of Exodus. So that's what we talked the last two days. We're on the A of pray, and the A stands for ask, ask. This is going to be a two-part, so we're going to go with the A for two weeks here, because when we talk about asking, we're going to talk about intercession, petition, and actually perseverance. What happens when our prayers aren't answered? And that requires, those things require more than one Sunday. Can I get an amen for that? Uh, We could be here for a while. And so... In the book, he jumps to, um, he goes to petition first and then to intercession and perseverance. I'm just going to keep us right in flow with the Lord's Prayer. We're going to start with intercession today. Now, Pete Gregg in his book, How to Pray, said this, Prayer means many things to many people, but at its simplest and most immediate, it means asking God for help. Anybody ever been there before? The most simple prayer, help. Anybody ever been there before? I feel like it regularly. Help! God, I need your help. This morning, my in-ears weren't working. Just help! I can't hear anything. I don't know what's going on. Help! He goes on to say, The Lord's Prayer invites us to ask God for everything from daily bread to thy kingdom come. For ourselves, which is a petition, and for others, which is intercession. Or as he defines it within the book. Amen? So let's start where we've we've been in all these few weeks in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, and then we'll recite together the Lord's Prayer, and we'll jump into this next part. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. We're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. Again, we've talked about this over and over again, that this simple prayer was just 31 words in the original language. Um, But let's share it together. 
Um, you guys ready back there, Jojo? Praise the Lord. Sorry, I called him out like right in the... Um, it goes like this. I'm just going to say it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors, forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Josiah. As I've been saying over and over again, I would memorize that if I was you. I encourage you to memorize that in whichever version you want. I think I have multiple versions into one. Um, I'm just, however it flows, sometimes there's thys in there. I don't know. It comes from the old school King James, but whatever. Memorize it. I saw some people said transgressions while we were reciting it. Great. Praise the Lord. Whatever transgressions, trespasses, sins, all of those things, uh, debtors, debts, all of those things, memorize it. But today we're going to talk about your kingdom come, or the idea of intercession. The bigger part of the prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Intercession is when we stand in the gap between heaven and earth. When we stand in the gap between heaven and and between earth, pleading with God on behalf of the people and with people on behalf of God. Probably some of the greatest texts that we have in Scripture regarding this situation is, is Moses. Moses spent seemingly his entire uh, adult life standing between Israel and God. Like standing in the gap, going to the people and saying, listen, thus saith the Lord. And going before God and saying, these people... <laughs> anybody ever feel that way like these i guess you could go back to like adam when he, he's trying to justify he's like it's this woman you can this woman what did you do eve right i don't blame eve i blame i blame adam in case anybody's wondering the bible says that uh eve was deceived and adam disobeyed so there's that but intercession is when we stand in between the gap between god between heaven and between earth and we plead the case of earth to heaven. And we plead the case of heaven to earth. Scripture tells us that we are ambassadors of this kingdom of God, right? And that we have this ministry and this message of reconciliation. And that we are supposed to, as if God himself was pleading through us, we're supposed to plead with the world, come, come be reconciled to God. To stand in this gap, this place. And oftentimes, we need to do this first in the place of prayer. Too many times we try to go out, and it's probably, it's probably my biggest issue. When I was younger, I was taught that we would go out on Saturday mornings and we would knock on doors in neighborhoods too early. If it's morning, it's too early on a Saturday to be knocking on somebody's door like, do you know Jesus, right? And so we would try to, we would try to bridge that gap right away in person when we failed to really bridge the gap in prayer. 
we fail to go in, in intercession and, and plead before the Lord for the case of our neighbors, for the case of our friends, for the case of our family and our relatives and, 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 and the, the people that we come in, our city, those kind of people. And so intercession is where we go before the Lord in prayer and we stand in this gap and we plead for these people, asking God to bring heaven to earth. We see this sort of idea in Ezekiel chapter 22 and 30. It's just one scripture out of a bigger context here. But God is speaking to the prophet. He says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand for, before me in the gap. Stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I'd not have to destroy it. But I found no one. He's telling Ezekiel, look, at, I was trying to find somebody in the land. Anybody, somebody, anybody. They would stand in the gap on behalf of the wickedness of the people so that I don't have to execute judgment on them. I couldn't find anybody. I think about Abram. When his uh, nephew Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah and God's like, I'm going to destroy Gomorrah. And, and Abram's like, hey, wait, what if there's like 50 righteous people there? Would you still destroy if there are 50 righteous people there? What is he doing? He's standing in the gap. The judgment of God is coming, and he's trying to stand in the gap. Well, if there's 50, I won't destroy you. Well, what about 40? He just keeps coming back. How about 30? You think God would be like, all right, come on. Like, let's get to the bottom number. Let's stop negotiating here. But he continues to negotiate with God for the sake of his nephew Lot and for the sake of the people. This is intercession. Karl Barth said it like this, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. This whole Ezekiel scripture, God is saying, I, I have to bring judgment because there's such disorder and disarray and sinfulness and unrighteousness. The judgment is coming. And what Karl Barth is saying is, listen, when we go before the Lord and we clasp our hands together in prayer, we stand in the gap, and immediately what happens is there's an uprising in the spirit against the order of the world. Meaning that we have the power to change what is going on around us through intercession, through prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning I need you to shift what is going on in earth so that it aligns with what heaven declares over this earth. Too often what happens, I do this myself, is that I have my will. So I, I sort of live, my kingdom come, my will be done in heaven as I've already established it here on earth. You know what I'm saying? Like we want to just, I, I, you know, I want to grab a bag of Cheetos. It's my will to eat. I know these are not good for me. I want to grab them though. And I'm going to pray for the Lord to bless them. He's like, I can't bless those Cheetos. Those Cheetos are not good, right? It's a simple, dumb analogy. I get it. But if I sit here and I'm praying, Lord, make these nourishing to my body in heaven as I've already declared, I'm going to eat these Cheetos no matter what. I've already established my own will. This is how I want to go about my business. And then I plead for God to bless the business that I'm going about. 
That can be in anything. It can be in what I decide to do for my life. It can be in who I decide to date or marry. It can be in how I, how I approach my children, how I deal with my business, how I deal with my co-work, whatever it may be. If I've already predetermined my will in my kingdom and then I ask God to bless it, I've got it backwards. Jesus said, no, intercession looks like the other way around, that we pray for the kingdom of God to break forth, for the will of God to show up on earth as he's already established it in heaven. Amen. Real quick, and I I was leading worship today, so this is going to be shorter. You're welcome. Caleb, I see you smiling. Four steps, four quick, and these are in the book. As I said, we've been walking through the book. If you don't have the book, I'm, I'm helping. If you have the book, I'm, you know, developing a little bit further than what the book does. But four steps of intercession that I want to share with you just this morning that helps us when we stand in the gap, when we go before the Lord in prayer. And really, when we go to the prayer room, we sign for the, that's a lot of what the prayer room is going to be. You might have some personal needs, provision that you need for yourself. Great. Pray those things. And we're going to talk about that next week. Petition the Lord on behalf of your own needs. He wants to hear what it is that you need. I think too often that's just our default, right? We go, help, I need this, I need that. But a big part of what we want to do when we go to this prayer room is intercession. Where we want to engage in a way that we call the kingdom of God. That's why we called it Light the City, because we want light breaking forth in our community. So four quick steps. One, get informed. Get informed. It's important in intercession that we engage with the facts. Amen? That we engage with the facts. Now, intercession, that word gets a little freaky because there's a lot. I mean, you can go on YouTube. You, you can, there's a lot of crazy books and a lot of crazy people out there who are, quote, unquote, intercessors. They feel like they've been called into intercession. And they, they, I'm not saying they haven't, but when you make it really weird, nobody else wants to engage in it. You know what I'm saying? When all of a sudden you're like, I am an intercessor. And uh, you know what I mean? And you get all kind of creepy and you use weird language and you act weird. People don't want to be around that. And the reality is every single believer has been called into intercession. Every single believer has been called into a place to stand in the gap between heaven and earth and to declare your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, so, so I, I, I want to make sure we're clear on that to begin with. So when we go into intercession, all of us, first of all, we need to do it with information, with facts. John 16, 13 tells us, Jesus telling his disciples, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. How many know that God loves truth? Right? He said, Jesus said, I am the truth. <laughs> right? So he, he loves truth. And so when we go to intercede, it's important that as we intercede, nothing may be more dangerous than making large assumptions in our inter- intercession. We need the facts to help drive our prayers. So if we're praying for our city, per se, it would not be good for us to go into intercession prayer without any sort of knowledge about our city. To just make large assumptions about who it is that lives within the city or large assumptions about what the needs are of the city. 
If you're just praying in general, Lord, let your love come to flood this city with your light, that's, that's one thing. But if you start, like, really, I bind up the spirit of whatever, but you don't have the facts about what's actually happening within the city, then you could actually just waste a lot of time in prayer, praying for things that don't even uh, pertain to that thing that you're praying for. You can make assumptions about your coworker and go intercession prayer and make these large sweeping assumptions about who they are. Lord, they're a Democrat. You know what that means. Or, or a Republican. I don't know. Either one. And make sweeping assumptions about what's in their heart, who they know, what they feel about the kingdom of God. I saw somebody the other day online that was literally calling another person saying they were not a Christian at all because they had a specific political bent. They're like, you don't know Jesus. I'm like, you can't make that assumption about somebody. (laughs) And if you're not careful, you'll go to intercessory prayer with those assumptions. We need facts. We need to engage with truth when we go to pray. And we live, you guys know this, we live in a breaking news, outrage, fake news culture. It's everywhere. So when we rush to make judgments, we can easily be duped into praying contrary to what the facts are, contrary to what the needs are, and contrary to what the kingdom of God is calling for. Y'all with me? So what do we need to do? We need to read credible sources. We need to eliminate our echo chambers in our life. If we're going to be intercessor prayers, we're going to pray for the kingdom of God to come onto earth. We're going to pray for the will of God to be done. Then what we need to do is we need to engage people in stories and what is really going on in our city, what's really happening in our neighbors' uh, lives. We need to take the time to engage truth so that we can pray effectively and stand in the gap. Position our hearts towards truth. Position our hearts towards righteousness above all. That we would incline our ears to these ideas so that we can represent the people before God and that we can represent God before the people. There's nothing worse than representing God in an untrue way. Making declarations about who God is all the while leaving the nature and character of God way behind. Amen? We've got to engage these things with a heart that longs for truth and righteousness. Some, some simple things that we can do is just ask our neighbors, ask our friends, ask our children, ask the city, how can I pray for you? How can we serve you? And when we first became Hope Assembly, uh, next week will be seven years ago, Churches generally do Easter egg hunts and their own things, their own big events. And I really had a heart. We want to be in the city. We want to embed ourselves within the city. We want to be a part of what the city is, the fiber and fabric of the city. And so I went to the Parks and Rec and, and recognized that they had, they had an Easter egg hunt. They don't call it an Easter egg hunt. They just call it an egg hunt. But whatever. So I went to them. I said, how can we serve you? Very similar to how can we pray for you. It's just a foot in the door. And year after year, we started off by just hiding eggs, staking out property. And then 
a table with coffee and flyers and hiding eggs and staking out property. And then, can you come be the co-sponsors of this whole entire thing? So the last couple of years, we've literally co-sponsored the entire egg hunt. But what we told them is, how can we serve you? How can we pray for you? How can we be good community members with you? This is what intercession looks like. Just ask, how can I pray for you? How can, be, how can I be a part? How can I serve you? And then obviously listening intently to what the answers are. Have you ever been uh, on the phone with uh, the helpline? You're trying to explain to them what you need and they just don't listen? Like, hey, this is uh, so-and-so, how can I help? And you start to explain to them, and they have, they have their script that they're reading back to you. They're like, well, I, just, I just gave you all that information. Why are you asking me these questions? Why are you not listening? You know, just, why are you not listening to me? Why have we been on the phone for an hour and a half? And you will not listen to what I'm trying to share. You said, how can I help? I explained to you, you're not even listening. Too often as Christians, if we especially assume and not engage with facts, that's what we'll do to our community how can I pray for you? And they start talking and we don't even listen. We just go through our script. Secondly, we need to get inspired, which means to engage with God's word. Okay, so we get the information, we get informed about the facts of what's going on in, in these areas, and then we get inspired. We go to the word of God and we look for in the word of God, like what are the possibilities that God's word outlines for us in these situations? Is there healing available? Is there peace available? Is there restoration available? Is there provision available? What does the word of God say about these situations? And we go to God's word and we get inspired by the word of God regarding what is happening in these situations. I prayed for years over my children that if I would raise a child up in the way that he should go, when he's older, he will not depart from it. I'm inspired by God's word. And when they did things that were contrary to that, we would bring them back. We would correct them because the Bible says the rod of correction drives foolishness far from them. I'm not endorsing spanking, I'm just saying. But when we continue to pray and believe God inspirationally from the word of God, that these kids have a purpose, that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, that they are, they are there to be, to be launched into the world, to be released in, into kingdom purposes. Right? We pray these things. We believe. We get inspired by what the Word says about our families, what the Word says about our communities, what the Word says about our businesses and our finances, what the Word says about our own health, relationally, our own health, spiritually, our own health, physically. Inspired by this Word of God, everything is found in the Word of God. It's not a, a book of instructions per se, but you can find instruction in God's Word. And if your relationships are struggling, you can find inspirational truth in God's Word about how to approach that relationship. If you're struggling with your health, you can find inspirational truth. The Bible says that healing is the children's bread. The Bible declares that Jesus is our healer. That by his stripes, we are healed. We see that Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. 
There's a precedent in the Bible that there's healing available to us and we can be inspired by the idea that healing is available. The restoration and peace are available. We need to be inspired by a kingdom vision for the present situation that we're facing. What is God's purpose for this situation? What is God's purpose for this particular person? What is God's purpose for our city or our nation? What is God doing in our midst? And how do we join him in his work? How do we get inspired by what the word of God says and work with him in it? When we pray God's word over the situations that we're facing, we are aligning ourselves with his purpose, with his promise. I mean, it's probably better to align myself with God's purposes than try to align God with my purpose, right? Just seems like one way is a little bit easier. If I could just hear what God has to say. Well, he says a lot in scripture about his purposes and his plans for us, for the people around us. Jonathan Edwards said this, that which God abundantly makes the subject of his promises, God's people should abundantly make the subject of their prayers. So we look to the scriptures and we see God is promising certain things about people. We should take those and say, these are the things we should pray for. God has promised that he would do such and we should pray in this way for God to do as he said he would do. Amen. Even like when we sing the song, like, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. That's sort of a prayer. It's, it's this idea of like, God, I recognize that the scripture says that you are working on the behalf of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So I want to align myself with the work that you're doing because you never stop. You never stop working. Yeah, you never, right? You never stop working. So we should make these things a part of our prayer life. Scripture, praying scripture, praying the Psalms, praying the promises. Thirdly, I like this one, get indignant. Get indignant. Engage with your heart. Engage with your heart. James 5, 16, the second part of the verse is this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In another uh, version, it's, it, it, it tags on the end dynamic in its working. James is talking about, like if any of, any of you among you is sick, let him come to the elders, let him lay hands on you. If anyone has sinned, let him confess his sins one to another that he might be healed. Right, he's talking about this whole idea of praying for each other, praying for the things that have been happening in life. And he says, why? Because the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. It, it's dynamic and it's working. And then he gives us an example. If you finish reading chapter 5, he goes on and he says, Elijah was a man just like us. What's he saying? He's like, don't put the prophets or these other people that saw the move of God in some other category that they were so, or beyond transcendent of humanity. They were nice. Elijah's a man just like us. And he earnestly prayed that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again that it would rain. And it did rain. 
He's like using this example in prayer, this fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man that avails much. And he says, look at Elijah. This is what I'm talking about. He, he came before heaven and he prayed for there to be no rain. Now that had a purpose. He was making a statement about the gods that the nations were worshiping, right? It's not like, hey, I just don't like rain. And people in the Northwest are like, yo, let's do it. Let's go. Let's pray that there will be no rain for three and a half years. No, it's not a selfish motivation. He was working for a purpose to make a declaration about God being the God over all the gods. But in James, he tells us even when we're just praying for sickness or for healing or for the sins that we've committed, that like Elijah prayed, a fervent, effectual prayer avails. It's dynamic. It's powerful. It has the ability to work on your behalf. Have you ever had somebody just pray the lame? Uh, maybe not. May, I judge too much, I think. I'm just like, this isn't in my notes, but all of a sudden I realize I judge too much. But you've had somebody like, man, I just, I need you to pray for me, Lord God. You're like, could you pray with some fire? Can you have some passion in your prayers? Indignant, engage with your heart. The original Greek of the Lord's Prayer renders every verb in the imperative mood, which means this, that it carries a more forceful commanding tone than, Lord Jesus, if you could, would you? So what it's saying is that the words like, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done, uh, give us this day, Forgive us. All of those verbs have this, this sort of commanding tone to them, this, this imperative mood to them. But some would say that it's literally like this prayer when you're praying, it's literally like commanding the heavens to work on your behalf. Now that's not being disrespectful or irreverent towards God. No, he's God, but when he said, pray this prayer, what he was saying is, I want you to recognize that you have some authority to declare things on earth, to pray things on earth. And so when you pray, pray with that authority. These, these, imperative, um, these imperative verbs have this idea, imply this proper posture posture of an authoritative one, that we are not to be timid in the presence of God. We're not to be timid when we stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of the people or intercede to God on behalf of the people or to the people on behalf of God. But that there should be this fire in our heart. There should be something stirring in us. We must find ourselves indignant about what is and recognize that we have the authority in the name of Jesus to shift the circumstances. Amen. I think of it like, uh, like a thermostat. Too many Christians in their prayer life operate as just a thermometer. And so a thermometer can only do one thing. It can take a temperature. But a thermometer has no authority, no ability to change the temperature. But intercessory prayer is like a thermostat. That indeed it does take the temperature. Where we talked about engaging with the facts. But it has in it a dynamo. 
a dynamic working inside that has the ability to shift and change the temperature. This is what intercession does. And we set our hearts in a way to be indignant about what is, like currently is way too hot in here. I would open all the doors, but you guys would leave. Could shift the environment, shift the atmosphere, shift the temperature of the room. Walter Wink said that intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. So indignance about what is that is contrary to what God has said. If goodness and mercy are not following you all the days of your life, then get indignant about it. Lord, you promised that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's not a promise that you won't experience difficulty. It's a promise that God himself will be with you in the midst of it. And if you don't recognize that, you begin to declare it, get indignant about the fact that you don't see goodness and mercy and ask God to show you the goodness and mercy that's that's in your life right now. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Lastly, get in sync. We're not talking about boy bands here. I hope everybody else thought about the boy. That's what I was thinking. Get in sync. Engage with the saints. Engage with the saints. Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20 says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. There's something about the prayer of agreement. As James even said, if you're sick, gather the elders together. They may lay hands on you and pray. He says, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. What is he talking about? He's talking about a togetherness, a a praying, an agreement with the saints. There's something about a prayer of agreement, the ability to join our faith together for the sake of the kingdom of God. Again, this is why we're putting this emphasis on going to the prayer room. I trust that probably most of you have some sort of prayer life as an individual on your own, and that's wonderful. That doesn't, this doesn't mean don't pray by yourself. Just saying, like, listen, there's, there's power that happens when we pray in agreement. And what does the prayer room do? What's happening is just one after another, after another, after another. There's a stacking agreement upon agreement upon agreement upon agreement. And we talked about earlier in this series about thin places. And the more that we're coming into agreement, the more the veil between heaven and earth is thinning out. And all of a sudden, we're seeing the kingdom of God breaking forth in our city, in our churches, in our families. What a beautiful thing. There's unique power vested in the unified intercession of God's people. Think about it in in Acts chapter 2, the whole upper room experience. When 120 of them were gathered together and they were waiting on the Lord in agreement. The Bible says that they were all in one accord. 
the birth of the very first church as we know it happened because the saints gathered together and got an agreement about the kingdom of God coming to earth. And Jesus had promised it in Acts chapter 1. Just before he ascended to the Father, he promised the disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what did they do? They obeyed the will of the Father, the will of Jesus. They go to Jerusalem, get an upper room, and they wait. And the agreement, they're saying, let your kingdom come. Your will be done. And suddenly, the earth shook. Suddenly there was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. Suddenly there was what appeared to be cloven tongues of fire that came and rested on every one of them. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Lord gave them utterance. In this particular instance, they all began to speak in known languages that were not their own languages. And it was so powerful that it could not be contained any longer in the upper room. As 120 would break out into the streets. And they are declaring the glories of God in languages that do not belong to themselves. Why? Because heaven broke loose on earth. The kingdom of God broke open among the people. And all of a sudden, people are like, what is going on here? Are these people drunk? Some people, that's what they thought. Are these guys drunk? And Peter gets up and like, hey, we're not drunk as some of you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Right? 5 o'clock somewhere. No, just kidding. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And he preaches the message and 3,000 people come into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they gather together in agreement. Because of the power of being engaged with the saints, agreeing together for heaven to come to earth. The worship team is going to come. One more quote here for you, and then we're going to sing one more song and open up the communion table and offering and all those kind of things and just sort of reflect on this. Richard Foster said this, If we truly love people, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it, than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. If we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. God, I see that my neighbors, are their marriage is struggling and I am inadequate to bind their marriage back together. So I have to come before you because I love them and I want your kingdom to break forth in their marriage. Do the work that only you can do. I stand in the gap for my coworker. I stand in the gap for my neighbor. I stand in the gap for my city. Whatever it may be. It brings us to a place of love. Our intercession, our prayers should be wholly motivated by a love for God and a love for our neighbors and indeed a love 
to our enemies. Amen? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.